0: Hello, everyone. This is the Decibel Wines podcast, and we are here with Patrick Newton. It's taken over a year for this podcast to happen, Uh, and it almost didn't happen today. Uh, But before I get to that, I do want to say we had a great event last night at the Common Room in Hastings, and that was for Decibel Wines, and Decibel Wines is my little brand, and that's what sponsors the podcast. That's why it's called DecibelWines.com. Or com. So uh, just to, you know, if anybody listens to this soon, I'll be in the States uh, in the, the next month of the month of August. We're in 2014 now, in case people are listening to this three years from now. Uh, and we'll be traveling around with the wines, so come out and check it out. Check out DecimalWines.com. And, and the podcast website, in case you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, is... Um, com, And I'll try to get more of these up on YouTube and things like that So please spread the word And always you can send me an email to Wineisfood at gmail.com If you have any questions or uh, People you think I should talk to Things like that So uh, back now to the podcast I'm here with Patrick Newton uh, One of the first guys I worked with uh, In New Zealand Though I just found out, Australian-born. This is huge controversy. I had no idea. It changes everything, you know? in hidden secret. I think you might be the first Australian-born... So, but it kind of does make the podcast. Like, now I can throw that in there. I've had some Australian-born winemakers on the podcast, oh, you
1: know? Going international now. Absolutely.
0: Well, I've had some Italians and Romanian and uh, a few other ones, but... I don't think I've had, yeah, I don't think anybody's been born in Australia, but you grew up in New Zealand mostly, or?
1: Uh, I, or the family moved across here, well, we moved here twice. Um, the first time when I was about, or oh, must have been four years old, uh, the family moved to Palmerston, north of all places. Oh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and we were there for two years and moved back to Australia for four years and then moved out permanently in 1992.
0: And that was to Hawke's Bay?
1: That was to Hawke's Bay. So um, the vineyard uh, was purchased, uh, or the beer land was purchased at that time. Uh, when we were in Palmerston North, um, we flew back to Australia. Uh, dad came across um, during that time to establish the vineyard, uh, and then we moved across four years later.
0: So your dad has one of the you know, most well-respected vineyards in the Giblet Gravels, which I've talked about the Giblet Gravels on this podcast a bunch of times. In fact, had Jeff Wilson on here, who was, used to be the administrator for the Gravels. We had kind of had a whole podcast about that and that sort of interesting appellation. But so 1992 was kind of right when it was starting to blow up.
1: I remember when we were in Palmerston North, um, we came up, well, I came up with Mum and dad to have a look at the block of the land I didn't know really what they were doing, Uh, but all I remember, it was just a wasteland. There was no green grass. There were animal carcasses around the vineyard. (laughs) It was horrible. Yeah, and Um, that's right on the drag strip too, right? Right, uh, Across the road from the drag strip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was bizarre, and I remember Dad telling me um, when they were establishing the vineyard, people were just turning up on the side of the road, stopping, getting out, and they were basically saying what on earth are you doing are oh, we planting grapes it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> jumped in the car and drove off but um, no, it didn't take long for the wines to start to be recognized and then the gimlet gravels as an entire area got recognized internationally and it's grown from there
0: so that's the cornerstone vineyard and they are they go into uh, obviously the Cornerstone brand, or Newton Forest? or yes, so, so
1: Newton Forest is a company. So my family, the Newton side, own 80%, and John and Bridget Forrest from Forest Estate in Marlborough own 20%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of the grapes um, get processed and uh, made into wine at Esk Valley uh, in Napier. And... From there, we take part of those or part of the production and turn it into our own wine. The balance goes into West Valley wines.
0: So, yeah, that was my other question. It does go the rest and ask. There isn't any in Villa or anything like that. or Not that you're aware of. <laughs> no, not that I'm aware of, no. Um, oh, we've had Gordon on this podcast before, so he's a really interesting guy and a great winemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, yeah, so you kind of come from good stock, I guess, you know. You, you grow up around the vineyard. I mean, you were pretty young then. You are 10 years old or so, right? Yeah, well. as,
1: as every child who works for a family in the agricultural industry, you're put to work at a young age. Hmm. And we certainly, and it was good for us because we are out of town. There wasn't a lot to do, uh, so we worked. Um, I remember when we were young, and we probably didn't do any work, but we were told to go out there and do stuff. We'd we'll get to go to Pizza Hut for all you can eat <laughs> if we did a week's full of work. And at that time, a child at uh, Pizza Hut was six ninety five.
0: And that's now the Hawks Bay uh, Seafood. Right? It or is, yeah. Right. But you can see the old yeah. Pizza Hut building in in there somewhere. But Absolutely. I joked around with uh, Shay actually, Shay Bird from uh, the Emporium years ago. That he said, "Yeah, Pizza Hut used to be like the shit. It was like." Dad would put the tie on, like, oh, we're taking the family out to dinner tonight, you know? And it was a
1: great. I remember as a kid loving it, going yeah, in there, pizza, salad bar, all you can eat yeah, desserts. Yeah, you crushed that when you were a yeah. kid, you know? Mm.
0: Um, and then, so then you went off to uni and studied wine?
1: Yes. Um, I didn't always want to go into wine. Uh, at school, I thought I would want to go down to Otago Uni and do Law and Commerce, and then Kind of right when I needed to make a decision, I thought, mm, "No, I don't really want to be in an office." Mm. Um, so I decided to go and do the Bachelor of Viticulture and Oenology down at Lincoln, which at the time was the only um, university that was offering the degree, and it was, you know, it was quite far away from home, so it was quite nice to go down uh, to the yeah. South Island. That's in
0: Dunedin, Christchurch. Oh, it just is Christchurch. out of Christchurch, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, you got right into it after that because I know. Uh, by the time i met you you seemed to have a pretty good amount of experience and you were only in your late 20s i think when we met right Yeah. I think
1: it's uh i guess i got in with a good group of friends which were passionate about wine even though we were all in our early 20s and every holidays we were always pushing each other to go and work at different wineries whether it be in the vineyard or the winery itself uh so there was always a push to get as much experience and a small amount of time so by the time I finished uni I had worked um, at a couple of wineries um, in Hawke's or Trinity Hill for a I mean this is a small amount of time during holidays Yeah, uh, Trinity Hill here in Hawke's Bay and also Forest Estate in Marlborough and then I worked on a couple of vineyards um, one in Canterbury for Geeson and also up on Waiheke Island for Man of War. So after that, it was just after I'd completed university, then it was going around and working, trying to do vintages in the northern and southern hemispheres. Well,
0: two things I remember about uh, uh, you that always stick out in my mind. Uh, one, which you kind of just reminded me of, was when we were, I went to your kids' christening and we were at your house. And I think at least you were there with at least two of your brothers and you and your dad were preparing like a brunch for us. Mm -hmm. And I can see that work ethic and focus because you guys were almost competitive in getting the meal ready. You were just like a well-oiled machine working around each other and I could see you were like... You know, giving your brother looks and he was back at you and your dad was like, look, you know, and I could see that same (laughs) thing probably going on in the vineyard at some point.
1: Oh, so dad always drawed into us concurrent action.
0: Concurrent (laughs) action. Being
1: from the military, you did things in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so there was no downtime. Um... In the kitchen, the same thing. You don't stand yeah. there watching a pot cook. You go and do something else. So, yeah, it's always <laughs> definitely trying to do as much as possible in this minimal amount of time.
0: Um, and then the other thing I remember, which I think I've mentioned to you before, was when I was—I had worked a kind of half-assed, uh, weird situation. My first harvest when I was at Tiawa, and the whole thing sort of fell apart. So, um, and I was in my basically still my first year at school. And I had an incident where I did not clean a tank well. <laughs> I had to, my defense was I had to run off to class and I told somebody. and blah, blah, blah. But then when I came back the next day, you know, which whatever it was, whether I screwed up or it was a misunderstanding. Obviously, it was a misunderstanding. <laughs> obviously. Uh, I really respected the fact that you just was like, as soon as I got in, you were like, come with me. And we walked out and you were like, look at this. You can't do this. It's just unacceptable. But, and I was like sweet i'm like that is direct (laughs) because i had already noticed in the i was there probably here less than a year at that point that um kiwis can be pretty laid back which is a good way but it's sometimes passive or just Mm kind of beat around the bush and don't be real direct with you and i'm pretty impossible to insult you know i mean i was i was even if i screw up i'm just like, hey you screwed up you got to try it again next Mm -hmm. time the best you can So I really appreciated that with, and I was like, all right, I know I'm going to like working here because this person's going to be direct with me and, uh, and tell me when I screw up or, and just tell me exactly what I need to do. Because at that point I certainly knew hardly anything and that, and working with you and Rich there, I really learned how to be a seller hand, you know, I learned how to, you know, I learned a lot of seller hand skills. I learned that vital was a perfect winery to do that. in because it's, it's big enough where you work with a lot of different things and a lot, you know, a lot of different quality levels. Mm -hmm. But then it's old, old school, everything's on stillage, you know, you're hand stacking barrels, you you know, that was, I'm not sure I've ever worked under consistent basis of under pressure that you had to work. It yeah. was like, you got to do this by the end of the day, you have to finish this. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't, you're letting us all down because we got to wait <laughs> around or help you out to, to fix it. You know,
1: I always recommend for seller hands or people who have just finished their qualifications to go and work at places like Vital or Esk Valley where it. It's big enough that you see a wide range of the quality levels, but you need to work quickly. Mm. Uh, and so you learn to be good, a good seller hand. Now, just checking, did you get a beer fine for that tank?
0: Uh, it was way before, it was literally like I had only started working part-time, so we had not initiated the beer <laughs> fine. Uh, that was kind of not until we, you know, maybe January, February before harvest when we started uh, picking yep. up some other seller hands. Yeah. Uh, but I had a few beer finds, but, uh, I'll just say without giving away the person's name, I was on the same, uh, shift as Susan. So Susan, uh, definitely (laughs) provided some, some beer finds and to not take away too much mystery, Susan was actually a guy. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was good. I quite liked the beer fine, um, situation at the wineries because everyone makes mistakes. Uh, and it's a good way uh, for everyone to accept that, and a little punishment, but just supplying everyone with be so yeah, you can exactly. sit down at the end of the day and have one with everyone, and I certainly have my fair share. It was always much harder because I always got larger fines and <laughs> it would have been a seller hand, <laughs> which is fair enough
0: but they uh, but you know the good part too is you sit there and you know, I would come in for night shift, and I'd be like, oh, there's a new beer fine on the board. What happened? Yep. And it, a lot of times, it was something like, oh, I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you could screw that up. So, no, we had the same attitude at Gerard when I worked there uh, in Napa in 2012. And Glenn was really good. He's a winemaker there, really, and been on this podcast, too. He was really good about explaining that. He was like, you know, on the one hand, we're trying to make light of the fact that people screw up. Yeah. But on the other hand... You know, we want you to notice that that you screwed up, and and it's a kind of a lighthearted way to say like, "Don't do it again." Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, and everybody can recognize that uh, it's that's what what's happening. All right, look at this woman stacking logs out there of course <laughs>
1: Chivalry has died at yeah, your house. <laughs> <geez>. <laughs>
0: um. So anyway, now uh, not long after that, you ended up going up to Waikiki.
1: I did. I'd. Um... Look at that, 13
0: minutes and we've already got to Waiheke Island.
1: (laughs) I'd reached as high as I could go at Vitals. uh, And I needed a new challenge. Uh, I was ready to take that next role as a winemaker rather than an assistant. And the only two places which I wanted to make wine in New Zealand was Waiheke Island or Hawke's Bay. Uh, Waiheke Island was great because my wife Jess, uh, her family's from Auckland and she spent quite a bit of her childhood on holidays over on Waiheke. So it was quite a nice um, situation for a job to pop up and mm. to get it and moved up to Matbrick.
0: No, that's cool. I mean, they've got a good name and uh, there's some good wines. And thank you. You brought me a nice bottle of... So what do we have here? The 13, which is a great vintage. Yeah. Was great in Waiheke as well, right? Fantastic. Really hot vintage. Um, and yeah, oh, Reserve. The Syrah. Reserve.
1: Just picked up a gold medal. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay, I'll put that one away for a little while. Um, but we did a—I I I did a really nice sort of industry tasting. Uh, I think it was last year of Hawks Bay uh, versus kind of versus yeah. Wahiki. and uh, Mudbrick was right there uh, in the top three for me, and I think the group as well. Uh, but Wahiki is kind of interesting because it seems to range from. The most expensive wines in New Zealand and, and definitely some of the best reds and Syrahs and things in New Zealand, red blends and Syrahs, to, you know, some guy's got a bunch of money and he sets up a paddock and he's got a little tasting room and yeah. the wines are like, whoa, uh, what are you doing here, buddy? <laughs> and from what I understand from the, you know, the guys like you and some of the industry are kind of really trying to help out to rein some of that in and help with some of the other... Smaller maybe home pro- producers kind Oh
1: absolutely um, I think being quite open As an industry or an area Is very important to Be able to lift the quality As Waiheke Island in general um, Because if you do have Those producers which aren't Making good wine It reflects on the whole sure. whole island But I think Waiheke is getting to that Stage where it's becoming uh, Less important with those growers Because you've got flagship wineries really pushing it everybody knows it um up in auckland problem with it too is they don't produce very much wine so you don't actually see why wines throughout new zealand um, yeah it's really
0: it's, it's true i don't see them around where i mean every other region if i walk into you know new world which has a nice you know hastings has a nice wine section or some of the other wine shops it's pretty tough to find those wines yeah a lot of wine club or
1: um, well, we have a million people sitting on our doorstep. That's true. Um, and yeah. a lot of the tourists are coming through there, and they, and that's huge for us. Hmm. Uh, 95% of all the wine made at Mudbrook is sold on site. Wow. Uh, and so there's no need to try and push it elsewhere. Uh, a couple of the bigger wineries do need to look elsewhere. Um, the Man of War and Passage Rock. But they are doing three times and four times as much as any other producer.
0: I have to say, Man of War might be one of the greatest tasting room experiences. Uh, I mean, the yeah. wines are nice. You know, wines are good, and uh, I wouldn't say they're you know the best wines in New Zealand or anything. There were some really solid ones and some really ones I really liked. But just to be out in the middle of nowhere, like on oh, a private beautiful. beach, it's yeah. crazy. It's like what this is takes you. First of all, a while to get to Wahiki. A long time to get to New Zealand if you're coming yeah. as a tourist. But then you got to do, what, a half-hour, 45-minute drive to the opposite barren end of Wahiki yeah. Island.
1: It's, they've done it well. Yeah. Um, and they needed to have a cellar door. There was a time which they didn't have anything. So when they built the, I guess you'd call it a little cottage, mm. um, on Man of War Bay, uh, it just, people came. Mm. And now they have platters there. So on a summer's day... You go out there, and the lawns are full of people having picnics, um, having platters, and playing cricket and drinking their wine. And, yeah, it's incredibly successful.
0: And you can see that uh, defunct billion-dollar island across the road there, <laughs> which is a cool story. It's like, or I think it's I think it's up on Trade Me, which for anybody listening in the states or anything, that's kind of like eBay or something. Uh, it's up there for seven or eight or nine million dollars yeah. if you want to buy this island and it's got a resort on it. But there is only one person that lives <laughs> on the whole thing. It's like a, it's like The Shining or something out there. It's yeah. just got the uh, the caretaker who just kind of looks after the property. But it's it's almost worse than The Shining. You are not in the middle of the mountains. You are on an island by yourself.
1: <laughs> and I don't know many people on Waikiki that have been to it.
0: Yeah, who knows what's going on yeah. out there? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when. I guess when we came out to visit you guys uh, last year I did some reading about it and I googled it because I was just like fascinated like this is crazy and uh, you know they had like uh, back in the day when the you know New Zealand was sort of maybe early 20th century they had like I don't know if they were like Polo, polio stops, or yeah. nurse n- nursing, or like missionaries out there to like take care of people and seclude them and things like that. So it's
1: pretty secluded out yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> not getting anything. But um, no, I mean going back to what you said about people hanging out on the lawn and things like that. Uh, Waikiki climate-wise, I know they get the heat, uh, but is it similar to Auckland, or is it just slightly different, or
1: uh, we it's. You'd get less rainfall on Waiheke. That's like good. The number of days that you're standing there or up at Mudbrick itself and you look across and you can't see Auckland because it's you know, bucketing down with rain and we won't get a drop. Mm. Uh, it's always warmer. So when you... are I guess because Auckland... I'm not sure the prevailing winds are south-west and it seems to drop a lot of the cooler weather over there and it comes across the water and it's suddenly warmer i'm mm. not too sure um but, but even it's always a couple of degrees warmer
0: and then compared to hawks bay would probably maybe not as much peaks and valleys
1: no so our diurnal range is much smaller um we will get up to we get the odd day in summer around 30 degrees not much over that uh because we have the sea breeze kicking in about mm. one o'clock and cooling everything down uh But we would only drop down to, say, 18 to 20 degrees at night during the growing season.
0: And um, what was I going to say? So, humidity too, though, is is a bigger challenge up there than it would be here or in Hawke's Bay? It is.
1: I mean, we get more rain. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't really notice the humidity unless we get a tropical low coming down.
0: Well, that's the word. I mean, I was when I'm there, I feel like it's more tropical than, yeah, than no, Hawke's Bay, you know what I mean? Um, and soil types, is it?
1: It's all, I mean, it's clay-based yep. soil. Um, it's not free-draining. No. <laughs> I've noticed that. So a lot of it, or it's um, 145 million-year-old um, Jurassic Strata. Um, so over the top of that, you've got a clay bed and then tops all over the top of that. And that will basically open up in summer. So we do get droughts. Uh, like in 2013, it didn't rain from pretty much the start of January through to mid to late April.
0: So this bottle you gave me is going to be like Aussie Shiraz? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> well, let you decide. Okay.
1: Um, so the ground, because it's clay, uh, big cracks appear. Um, all over the place and in winter obviously the cracks um, fill up with water the clay expands again and it becomes really boggy Mm. Um, so the soils I guess uh, it makes the wines in general a bit more round a bit more fleshy. that's what I noticed
0: about when we did that tasting is you know, in the same way you might compare a Hawke's Bay Chardonnay to a Gisborne Chardonnay, which yeah. tend to be like kind of fatter. and You almost taste the humidity. Yeah. And uh, I felt like the same thing with uh, our tasting. They were just a bit fleshier and uh, maybe softer or tannins and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think
1: it's... Uh, it was... I changed my my, my wine making quite a bit from um, working with the Gimlet Gravels Reds to working with Waiheke. You know... The extraction of hard tannin is quite difficult not to get out of the of Gravels Reds, um, whereas you can try all you like. You're not really getting that really hard tannin on Waiheke.
0: You won't get it, is it? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, Which is quite nice. Juicier wines and stuff. Absolutely, yeah, and I think
1: yeah. they're more approachable at an early age.
0: Yep. Mm. I would say similar to to a lesser degree to where, you know, a to where I'm at now, even just yeah. off the gravels, you know, they tend to be uh, a bit more floral and fleshier and stuff but um and then the community up there i mean we we touched on it a little bit as far as uh you know there's some very established brands and stuff like that and then there's some uh real high-end ones and things like that but is there much of a, is it winemaking sort of younger older all over the show what uh
1: a bit all over the show
0: and the, but there's mostly like kind of medium productions there right you know? yeah there is yeah yeah medium um, to small obviously
1: Yeah, Uh, I mean, the smallest would be, you know, three... Oh, maybe three to five tonnes... Um, the largest is three Man of to five War. tons. Yeah. I mean, it's tiny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the largest is Man of War, which I think sometimes I can get up to two hundred tons. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, so not enormous, nor yeah. No, no <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: keep thinking, you know, that's one day of processing of vitals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, you know, we we're a lot. Um, mud bricks thirty two tons, um, which is quite nice because we can keep everything separate um, and give everything a lot of love and attention.
0: Sure, sure.
1: And I can be home to. Bath and feed the kids at six o'clock rather than working, you know, 14 to 16 hours a day.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Well, I think, yeah, at some stage you got to find that balance and, uh, you know, enjoy your family as well. And if Absolutely. you, and, and, you know, sometimes it is a matter of just running home for dinner and like, Hey, I'm going to go back and yeah. check on a few things for an hour. And that's a good freedom to have, you know, oh, it's fantastic. Uh, and that's, you'll make better wines that way anyway, because yeah. peace of mind and, uh, you know, you have time to sort of reflect and think about things rather than just constantly like I'm here 17 hours straight all the time or whatever it is. Um, so yeah. So, but you, you know, do you have some sort of peers in the industry up there that you, I know you said it's quite open and things like that, but is there some of the other guys Mm -hmm. that you talk to consistently? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not like you're, because the island is obviously secluded, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. But then within there, you'd have to be really close with some yep. some of your... Uh... So
1: Mudbrick's a little bit special. Uh, okay. So Mudbrick, the company, owns the Shepherds Point Winery. Um, I've started calling it Mudbrick Winery because everyone gets confused if I talk about Shepherds Point. But within that, we have a couple of clients. So Obsidian, which is another well-known producer, oh, yeah. And yeah. making some top wines, they lease part of the winery. So their winemaker, I basically see um, every day during vintage, and so it's great to bounce ideas off. Um, I also make the wines under instruction from uh, Hay Paddock, Hay Paddock uh, which is a Syrah producer, and also another little client called Glenora. Uh, but outside that, and every winery is so close, and we know most, well, we know every, every other winemaker on the yeah. island, so... You know, people are driving past quite often. They'll swing by and pop in for a yarn, taste some wines, and yeah. Yeah,
0: much like I did when I was there. <laughs> oh, and was I great. was just thinking, uh, did your thirteen Chardonnay just like win a medal or, or did something?
1: It's all sold out. It sold out in four months <laughs> because.
0: When I was there, you were like stressing out over it because c- you were like, oh, I you thought the alcohol was high on it or something was going oh, on. The Viognier. Oh, the Viognier. The Viognier okay. won the trophy. At the That's game. what I was yeah. thinking because as soon as I saw that, I was like, I guess he worked it out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, it's... Um, the Viognier... And as everyone who makes Viognier knows, expect high alcohol. Yes, no, I just went
0: through that this year myself, <laughs>
1: and it was good. I mean, it um, obviously stood out enough to pick mm-hmm. up the trophy at the Easter Show. Uh, the royal easter show the royal easter show wow wow which was great and it's fantastic and you know to have a good vintage like 2013 and the first wine competition after the wine was bottled to pick up the trophy was just mind-blowing yeah that's Um, awesome yeah so
0: you guys do uh is there a decent amount i know viognier is not widely planted so so big but there's decent amount on the island up there Uh,
1: most producers do viognier oh cool um well most producers who are uh, making a wide range of wines yeah um but it's in small production
0: and then syrah bordeaux blends kind of yep
1: yeah, so for the whites um chardonnay mm-hmm. is the number one pinot gris is getting close to that um pinot gris is becoming more and more popular
0: so is it much like new zealand where the pinot gris style is all over the place. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: you've got um, people you... producing dry Pinot Gris right out to Man of War's Exile Pinot Gris, which is much more full-bodied, um, lots of residual sugar, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's hidden and miss, really. Yeah. Uh, most of it's sold through all of the cellar doors, um, Pinot Gris seems to be the variety that, that everyone sells out of very quickly. Chicks dig it, man. That's what it is. <laughs>
0: Always popular when the chicks dig it. You it's
1: know? funny, we noticed it over the last uh, 12 months, people are moving away from Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Gris picking up again. Mm. Um, which I don't know is a good or bad thing.
0: Uh, it's probably a domestic thing, first of all. I think Mm-mm. the Savvy... Thing is still strong overseas and mm-hmm. and uh but i think that's a good opportunity for new zealand to show because one of the reasons why i came to new zealand was because i love white wine i drink yeah. a lot of white wine and i think you know chardonnay being probably at the top of the list of we do awesome chardonnay from mm-hmm. all the way from wahiki down to otago there's and there are millions of different styles and they're really good ones uh and it's neat to show some other things like me on uh, I, I stopped by when my buddy was in town from uh, San Francisco. He came to that Pinot conference, and he got invited oh, to yeah. go to uh, Vinoptima. Oh, nice. And I was like, I'm tagging along, right? <laughs> well, you have to. <laughs> yeah, so I went up to Gisbon with him, and we had a look around that winery. Oh, my God, is that just a special... I mean, it's like a, dr- a guy had a dream of, like, I'm just going to make the most like Gewürztraminer winery I could possibly think of, down to, like, the distance between the tanks mm-hmm. and... He, like, looks out the lab and all the tanks are, like, perfectly lined up in this, like, crescent moon. And uh, he had, he had how many parcels did he want to do to, like, he's if he racks it from this tank to this tank and the different styles. And it's, like, the cleanest. I think the ground, the, the winery floors like, all tiles that are perfect and everything. It's crazy.
1: It's great that uh, Nick noblo has got that passion at his age and yeah. still wants to do it. You know, most people would say, right, I've sold the business. I'm done. yeah instead he goes out and builds another winery and makes it exactly what he wants it it's to be. crazy
0: man it was and- it was i went i was so glad i went just for that but um and we also stopped by milton which is always good to mm-hmm. taste the, through those wines they're just so beautiful what what they what comes out of there so I try to get around when I can, Pat, you know? <laughs> try to bounce around. Well, it's uh, good that
1: you do. I've been put on hold for going to wineries while on holiday. Mm. Uh, after I took Jess um, on our first wedding anniversary, we went to Martinborough and I dragged her around winery after winery. <laughs> said after that, no, I work in a winery all day, I'm not going to do it on holiday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is fair enough.
0: Yeah, you got to cut it at some point, but it is good to... Uh, Poke in and see what people are doing, and <clears throat> see what's uh, what's good. You know, I plan to do that when I go through uh, California on this trip. And believe it or not, there's actually some decent productions around on the popping up here and there on the East Coast. Oh, nice. Oh, so it's just a bigger knowledge base and people taking it more serious. I think, like in places like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, mm-hmm. there might be like the old Italian guy who yeah. actually his great-grandfather. Grandfather Grandfather made wine in Italy, so he has a dream to make wine, and then it's just, like, terrible stuff, and really cheap, and just no real thought into what clones or anything like that, or how to run a vineyard, and, you know, the wines are all over the show. But in the last, say, 10 years, there's some things that have popped up where, you know, with the internet, you just have access to actually how to, you know, how to do it right, and, and there's people, you know, there's consultants from Europe coming over, so... Uh, there's actually a couple places I want to pop in and see uh, again. And that's really weird when you go in and you're like, you know, I brought one of the Pennsylvania wines to a Brookfields tasting one time and people yep. were like, this is Bordeaux and blah, blah, oh, blah. Right. Oh yeah. It, it took the night. Like it was yeah. just like, this is really, and I'm like, this is from Pennsylvania. We do not expect it. <laughs> no, um... and, but you, it can be done is what it's yeah. neat about. It. I mean, granted these people have built a, beautiful facility they're you know they've got they're using the right oak they've got a, everything worked out and the main thing is they have as a family had worked that land for like over a hundred yeah. years something like four or five generations so they knew every perfect hillside for yeah. vines that they wouldn't grow corn on or something else so it can be done it's just not as easy as uh you know napa or somewhere yeah. like that you oh, know? absolutely so um anyway getting back to Wahiki. Oaxaca- um if anybody's listening to this you definitely should check out uh just even a map to see what that crazy island looks like <laughs> and everything uh but if you do pass through new zealand what is it, about 45 minutes
1: yep 45 minutes from downtown auckland
0: yep uh so that's pretty handy to have that right there um and i'm actually glad you made it down to hawks bay so i don't have to take that <laughs> <laughs> trip over to do this podcast uh but do you get over to the city much
1: Uh, I do more in the last um, six months. I took over the trade sales manager uh, for Mudbrick. So that sees me going over to restaurants in town and what have you uh, roughly every one or two weeks. Uh, But apart from that, on the social side, maybe once a month, you know, it's
0: you have got produ- everything
1: that you need on Waiheke for the most part, and certainly during summer, yeah, it's uh, just I no need to go over to the uh, city You've deal got with the all beach that there yeah, and yeah. it's a relaxed environment over on Waiheke. so mm.
0: yeah that's a it's a pretty special place we loved it when we were there. I'd been out there one other time years ago, but to uh just get a little batch and stay down by the the water like that that was cool. I'd love to do that again sometime and uh come visit you um I don't know pat we covered a lot that was about yeah. 33 minutes we just oh, did gee. there so uh you know i get the feeling maybe uh we could probably tackle some more controversial issues down the road uh <laughs> but um yeah i don't know what's next i mean maybe that's probably the way we, we could kind of wrap it up uh you had a good 14 vintage and everything
1: good yep yeah. fantastic pretty
0: similar to to down here and maybe a little scare at the end and
1: yes we Uh, I think we got through the worst of it. Yeah. Um, We were able to get physiologically ripe Cabernet. Um, We weren't forced to harvest it. Uh, We, tasting it in barrel prior to racking after mail, I was thinking to myself, this could be better than 13.
0: It could be. Some of Uh, them, they're a bit fleshier and possibly like... Kind of what you said earlier, maybe more approachable early on. Absolutely. But the word that I came out of it was juicy plump. You know, that's what I got a lot of Absolutely. You absolutely.
1: The the Merlot was outstanding. Uh, I preferred the 14 whites uh, than the 13. 13 was, we had terrible fruit set. So we had a lot of hen and chicken through everything, Mm. uh, whereas... 14, everything was plump, right. I could pick it on whatever acid levels I like, no pressure. Uh, So I do think the whites are better, more elegant, more concentration.
0: So you guys don't get frost scares, obviously, up there?
1: No, though it has snowed, I think, in 2000. and must have been 2011, just as I got there. Uh, We had a polar blast ripping up the country, and I was standing up at the restaurant, and sure enough, snowflakes were flying past the window and went out and i couldn't believe it in i've never air.
0: seen snow in hawks bay well in the in the plains here where we are that's crazy but uh but you mentioned poor fruits is that just it was like real windy or yeah, something like that
1: I, one of the issues is like, hawks bay gets the wester,s we get the southwesters uh, and quite often um uh, because we don't have a lot of protection from that when we do get a lot of rain as well yeah so cool winds with rain and you know what it's like
0: mm-hmm. not 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 good for the spring well we'll see we've had a little bit of a blast here with a lot of snow on the mountains mm-hmm. and i think it's going to be an interesting spring for some growers around here i just get that feeling we've had a couple easy springs in a row and yeah i have a feeling and a tough spring for the growers means a not a lot of sleep for me living on a vineyard <laughs> with a giant diesel uh Pump here and a bunch of frost fans around me but that's uh i love when people say oh i want to rural living i want to go live out in the country and (laughs) And
1: i remember as a child waking up when it was frost fighting season and looking out the window and it was still dark and i think one morning I counted fourteen helicopters <laughs> just in the surrounding vineyards. yeah
0: because uh, Villa's always done the hell a lot of helicopters, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. So they I think everyone got burnt in the two thousand and three. Yeah the th- what so would have been two thousand and two. Yeah, yeah, two three um, I mean that wiped out everything for the most part. So after that everyone's taken the um safer option and you know regardless of like if it's looking like it's being a going to be a frost or come closer they'll get a chopper in on standby and what yeah. have you so
0: yeah i also live like right near the airport too so <laughs> oh they'd all be flying in oh uh, yeah sometimes they're like really low coming over the house i'm like oh are we being attacked the russians are coming you know
1: gosh i remember one year they had uh, a big russian helicopter twin rotor
0: oh jeez
1: massive it was Biggest helicopter I've seen working. Uh, and that certainly put out a lot of noise. Yeah. Uh, it's either that or the Iroquois. I don't know if they were still getting an Iroquois in.
0: I don't know. That's that's the uh, the big American one, isn't it? The uh, Iroquois? Not sure. There yeah.
1: uh, certainly quite a few. I think the New Zealand Army yeah. a
0: few Iroquois We probably people. sold it to you, to yeah. you <laughs> probably. for double the price, <laughs> and it was probably 20 years old by that point. It would be a bargain We've then. been known to do that. I was on a... Um, I grew where I grew up outside of Philly there was like this sort of pseudo fake battleship it was almost like all the pieces that would be on on the deck of a battleship as far as radar and and uh, if people grew up in southern New Jersey they know this place like out in Mount Laurel and it's in the middle of a field and there were supposedly missiles under the ground there or whatever but it was I mean literally my whole childhood it was there and uh when I was living in Europe, I was traveling through Spain and I ran into a guy from mm. South Jersey. Like, I heard him speak English, and next thing you know, it was one of those crazy, weird things. He was staying in the same overnight cabin with me. Mm. He started telling me, Oh, his, he was an engineer and he had studied in the States, but he had flown over and had this like uh, contract gig working for the Spanish military mm. doing engineering. And this was. I mean 20 years after and he's like yeah we just sold the technology from that
1: (laughs) that thing in Mount Laurel and And he's like I
0: grew up in that area and we actually did some of our engineering studies at that facility and everything and he's like and I'm like geez that's shitty for the Spanish military (laughs) they just got that I'm sure we sold it for millions of dollars and then not only sold it to them then we we get all the jobs to go as contractors to go show them how to use it you know (laughs) you know so I'm sure those helicopters were. Yeah, that's that's how the U.S. rolls. You know what I mean?
1: Hey, you got to upgrade sometime, and someone's got to take it. That's right. That's right. So
0: mm. anyway, man, I think uh, we could probably wrap it up there. Uh, I'm sure I'll be on a plane in the next couple of days and think, oh, I should ask Pat this. I should ask him that. But uh, why don't you at least plug the website and stuff? So it's Mudbrick. What's the website?
1: Uh, mudbrick.co.nz.
0: And I think there's just, like, Wahiki Wines is is the website or something. Yes.
1: Uh, pretty sure it is. If you type I'll, I'll put Wahiki it on Wines the, and yeah. give it'll pop
0: up. I'll, uh, I'll put some links up, uh, and I need a, a nice picture from you as well, just so you know. <laughs> so thanks for doing this, Pat. Cheers, and thanks for the bottle of Syrah, man. Pleasure. Cheers. Look
1: forward to the next one.